This one was a really interesting scoop season. I think they they like left some surprisingly big cards for the very end. I really liked the um, Andres uh, stream was amazing. <laughs> like the over that opening set, I was so psyched for it, and it was um, it was the week after after Nats, and we've been watching um, the original FFG how to play netrunner and netrunner video, which is just so hype for the game. Like it's yeah. like, oh, you have to play this game now. But it had that similar vibe, which I was just like, this is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we need to get one of those. Get Andre and CTZ together. Oh, oh my god! god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining there's like there's like an A side, which is which is like you know prof- professional, nice, nicely voice acted and all that, and then uh, and then a B side where CTZ is just like completely going off on one, and that would that would just be amazing. Yeah, it's like okay. you, you learn to play Netrunner, and then you learn how to value Scorch, and that's like the progression of your career. Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your co-host, Nora Panzer, the most egregious podcast host in Netrunner. And I'm Josh, aka Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's OKS player. If you are listening to this podcast expecting it to be a podcast about genuinely trying and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner, then you are in the right place. I have good news for you. If you are expecting this podcast to, despite that, make you better at Netrunner, or to make you a better person, I might have bad news for you. Let's not dwell on that. Let's just go ahead and move on. We do have good news, which is we have a special guest. Josh, would you like to do the honors and introduce our special guest? You know that I would. This person comes from NSG, is one of the producers on the production team. Winner in a surprise uh, beef zone, which is, you know, who would win in a fight, the releasing Parhelion on time or uh, not doing that. They are the winner of 2022 UK Nationals. It's X-Track. X-Track, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. I'm, I'm all right. Good to hear. Good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> We're happy to have you on and discuss some of that stuff that just came up in that intro. Uh, I, honestly, I think we have a lot to get into today. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's a, fair amount to, a fair amount to cover by the sounds of it. We have a ton to get into. And um, I, I do have to say, I'm going to stop you preemptively, Pants. Um, so Extract is a new guest, and you usually do baking up thin loaves for new guests. And you usually do some sort of terrible bread pun. And frankly, I'm sick of it. Honestly, I'm wounded. I can promise you, I was not about to do a bread pun, even before you stopped me. Suspiciously specific. But I suppose that does make it impossible to do baking up thin loaves, so I'll allow it. Here's what I was thinking. It is December, it is the holiday season, and we just had scoopsmas. Overall, cheerful tidings and goodwill to all people and all that sort of stuff ringing through the air. And with all of that in mind, all I really wanted to do was talk about my favorite player from New World Order, Tinsel. Oh my god, you magnificent bastard. Did you just pawn on the Germans? Fuck yeah, I did. That's right. It's time for baking up Yule Loafs. I have no idea what a Yule Loaf is, but 
since I can't do bacon of think loaves, uh, that's what this segment is. We're going to find out what a Yule loaf is together. Extract, it is your first time on the cast. We're going to open up a few presents with those presents metaphorically being questions about Netrunner. Uh, when did you start playing Netrunner? So I started playing Netrunner in May 2015. Mm. So I've been at so uh, this for a, for a fair while. <laughs> I want to say about nine months or so before I did. So that was that like mid Sansan cycle? The way I got into Netrunner is a mate of mine came and came around for a long weekend. Mm. And uh, we played, you know, your, you know, the basic Wayland versus Noise kind of starter deck yep. set up. And that was, uh, that was really fun. I was liking, liking Data Sucker, liking stuff like that. I'm like, okay, this is neat. This is neat. Oh, yeah. And my mate goes to me, I've got, uh, I've got a couple of current meta decks that might be, uh, might be quite interesting. Interesting. Uh, they're a little <laughs> bit, a couple steps up from, the, uh, from, uh, from, from, from these basic decks, but uh, should we give them a try? I'm like, all right, all right. And he puts down what ends up being uh, Leela and Butcher Shop NEH. <laughs> so oh, no. they have a difficulty current step meta up. decks, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I was, was assuming this was going to be like pulled out like food coats. Like at least you, if you know the fundamentals, you can play the deck. But like butcher shop, that's interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely. So I'm playing at any age, and uh, I've landed the mid seasons. Super tagged. Super ta- mm-hmm. super tagged. He's like, okay, okay, this is this is not this is not good. I need to close out this game real quick before uh, before Chris gets up and gets back up the money and can get through these plus grades. So he makes a random run in R&D and face checks an information overload with no way to break it and loses his entire rig. And he had like Ooh. 10 cards at this point on the board. <laughs> Well, that's one way to get rid of Plascrete. Fortunately for him, I hadn't drawn any of the scorches or the tra- or any. I think I'd drawn like one traffic accident. So, uh, so he just kept like plinking R and D, just like get one card, get one card, get one card, and eventually won, despite the fact <laughs> wow. that no board state, fifteen tags. It's a good reminder, right? Like that's a good reminder when you're just starting out the game. You don't need a rig all the time. Nah, especially when you're yeah. Krim. Your yeah. face is your best breaker. I'm just kind of flabbergasted that both of you grew up in in metas that were defined first by like food coats and DLR Val, and then the meta moved on to Dumble Fork, mm-hmm. and somehow you both kept playing Netrunner. That's I I didn't have my eye on the big meta decks other than like the one good player at our local who would play the meta decks. So th- there was really only one person that like played the Degeneracy until basically it had worked around and moons was the dominant deck and that was fun as hell to play once i started finally playing meta decks yeah i think moons was when i started going kind of okay i probably should take this semi-seriously if i want to do well in tournaments and it turns out i do want to do well in tournaments because yeah. it turns out i'm more competitive than i thought i, wa- I thought i was in terms of <laughs> need to need to do do relatively well yeah moons was kind of the first mainline deck that i went for i think i went for mm-hmm. siphon wizard about the same time time oh nice yeah um mm-hmm. so that was uh, so yeah that was definitely a transition in transition for him that was in like 2016 because td was in 2016 sounds right yeah yeah it was something like that. yeah it was 16 or 17 those were actually really awesome decks as mm-hmm. far as like super high power rocket tag decks there's a surprising amount of nuance between them and a surprising 
amount of punch back and forth, which mm-hmm. you would not expect from 12 ridiculously broken cards apiece. It's, it's kind of like, um, oh, what's that game? Cosmic Encounter, where it's like everyone yeah. is stupidly powerful, but that's fine because everyone is stupidly powerful. So you just got these kind of titans swinging at each other rather than kind of mm. just picking at each, mm. at each other. You get big play and plays where a lot happens in, in very few in very few turns because both players, yeah. even when they're kind of been kicked a bit, can keep hitting back hard. Mm-hmm. God, mm. I love Cosmic Encounter because even the even the powers that seem like they're underpowered are broken. The one where all it does is let you look at someone's hand and then you look at their hand and they're you're like, hey guys, highest cards in here are 10. I don't think they're going to win. And then like everyone allies against them. And it turns out you were lying. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no! You know, speaking of being competitive, this this bleeds perfectly into the next thing, doesn't it, Pants? I think it does. Obviously, with this being the Baking of Yule Loaves segment, we have to have a, a bonus figgy pudding for the additional questions. So the bonus figgy pudding here. What is your favorite deck that you've played competitively? So uh, so I think my favorite deck of all, t- all time to, to play in any in any meta has got to be Siphon mm-hmm. Wiz. And that's when I discovered and discovered, oh, okay, being tagged all the time is really, really amping up the tension tension of this game. Like one false move, the court gets to three and I don't have Plasky and Plasky down, I'm done. I just die. Mm-hmm. Or if uh or or if um they get a resist resistor up to, to into two I strength before I do anything about it, I'm just locked out from from that server. You're on a knife edge pretty much the whole game. I have a real soft spot for MT. I know it's overpowered. I know it's a broken ID. I know we're never gonna unban it. It lets me rea- be re- realistic, rip. But at the same time, being able to drop a cortex lock in front of a batty and then just oh go, God, yes. Well, <laughs> Probably shouldn't have done that. I hope you're good at winning Psy games right about now. Is just so satisfying. <laughs> you're one of those sick bastards. Yes, I am indeed. I am indeed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. More honorable to spider people. It's not. Yeah, about but spider costs eight. So if, and cortex lock. I mean cortex and cortex lock and batty firing that from three for that fifty fifty. Oh, it's just yeah. Just gambling. Oh, so good. good. <laughs> the first instance of uh, you win the game ever printed on a Netrunner card. I mean, I've always had a soft spot for Cor- for Cortex Lock um, because there was a player who sadly doesn't play in our meta in- anymore, uh, a guy called Joey. So shout out to Joey, who always played Krim, always chucked down a Desperado click one and always face checked, especially versus Titan because who plays Cortex Lock out of Titan, right? <laughs> so install one card, go down to four. Install, install one Desperado, go up to five and five spare MU, run HQ. Shortest game I've ever played. Oh no. Bonus points if it's a dirty laundry. That reminds mm. me of the best reaction I've I've think I've ever had with Cranked. I leave my RD open, and before installing his rig, he accesses a snare and he goes, Why the fuck is that in there? What the <laughs> fuck? What it's the hell? <laughs> Why the fuck are you playing that? Why the fuck is that in there? You're Titan. What the hell are you doing with a Cortex lock? It's Titan. <laughs> turns out it's a good anti-Russia ice. And, uh, and yeah, run was always I... a crutch. It turns out you should just end the game instead. Speaking of cards that are played in unusual places, in, in places that make people think that they're bad, we have another bonus figgy pudding here, which is, what is your favorite quote-unquote bad card? I think I'm contractually obliged to say jackpot at this point at this point because uh, <laughs> because uh, I've seen it played like a couple of times, but you know not not a very widely played ca- and card for good reason. But um, yeah, I'm contractually obliged to say it's my favorite favorite card because when it was spoiled, uh, we were at a netrunner retreat with a whole with a whole bunch of people. And we'd all gone out and gone out for dinner, 
I saw jackpot. I might have had a couple to drink by this point. Very certainly proclaimed this will be a three of in every deck going forward. Because to me, it just seemed like pure value. <laughs> you know, if you squint at it, it is pure value. There's no downside. It costs zero to its yeah. all. And you can sell it to Pawn Shop for three. <laughs> yeah, you can sell it. You, you can sell it to Pawn Shop if it's not if, it, if it's like a if it's like a six agenda deck. If it's like a ten agenda deck or whatever, you're going to get some some value out mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And now with World Tree, you can sell it off to 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 go get a good card. Oh, hold on, the jackpot meta <laughs> is approaching. There we go. Three of in every deck. <laughs> See, I was right. I was just about five years too early. <laughs> I mean, it was, I don't know if it was a three of in every deck, but I remember in Cash Refresh, that was a very, very commonly used card. It was one of the best econ options because oh, right. it was yeah. not tied to a specific big box. Pure value. It says so on the card. Pure value. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Jackpot, not, not a huge component, but a component of doing the full Vicarin? I don't remember the full Vicarin decks very well anymore. Sorry for any listeners who are listening to this, like, what the hell is that? The full Vicarin refers to, we're naming this after a particular JNet player who was well known for almost exclusively playing decks like this. A deck that is designed to win, like its plan A, B, and C are to put you in prison forever rather than actually win by stealing agendas. I see. And it normally does that by selling all of the agendas. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. This is the yes. steal 14, po 14 points and then just sit back type deck. I am sad to say that it has happened to me at least once. Back in the day, these were kind of the decks where if you didn't get a reasonably rushy draw and you couldn't square it quickly enough, if you go to turn 12 against a deck that's designed to lock you on turn 12 and do nothing on turns 1 through 11, then you're in a pretty bad spot. <laughs> So uh, I don't know. I, I don't actually recall seeing jackpot in any of those uh, jackpot in any of those decks. But I also intentionally avoided playing Vicarin on JNet, so I I almost certainly haven't seen all of the full Vicarin decks. I mean, if you're not doing anything for tw for for, tw for twelve turns, then if you install three jackpot turn one, then that's um, that's yeah. 36, 36 credits when you <laughs> touch your first agenda. So it's, it's just pretty good to me. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Honestly, I think Jackpot probably worked its way out of those decks when Wu got printed because then the full Vicarin became Wu Revoir. Oh, this is it. The, just it, Jackpot snitch, just yeah. wasn't powerful enough. You could just quick for three for every yeah, turn yeah. of the game. Run, uh, run Jack out, run Jack out. Yeah, yeah, that, those yeah. decks. Bit of a problem. Glad we're not in that meta anymore. Okay, I've, I've got one last bonus figgy pudding here. I'll fully admit this one's an atypical question. We don't ask this to most people. But I think that there's actually a pretty funny story here. Do you happen to remember the way that the two of us met? I do rem remember. Is it Worlds 2018? 18. It was Magnum yeah. Opus, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, th I think you should go ahead and go right ahead. Go and tell it. Yeah, this was the final round of Mopus 2018. I, I don't know what happened to you in the round before, but I was in the position of, I didn't have an inside track, but I had a realistic shot at making day two. And I got paired up against Peter Dinya in the penultimate round in day one. I refused to two for one because with one win, I would still like I'd be in position to potentially two for one in the last round. And I just got completely dream crushed. I took way too many tags and had to sell all of my agendas to uh, I actually had to try to execute a full Vicarin. Too many QPMs left. A very demoralizing set of games. And I sit down for the final round of the day and you were sitting across from me and you say, hey, I remember there was a whole sales pitch here, but the, oh, yeah. the gist of it was, would you like to ID this round 
that qualifies us for the next set of prizes that we're currently not qualified for. And then we could go get a beer. And it, you launched into a, a slightly longer sales pitch than that. And if I remember correctly, I stopped you and said, you had me at let's get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I mean, I, obviously I wish I had still been playing for day two at that point, but I still remember it to this day. It lives rent free in my brain. That was such a good send-off and send-off for, for the FFG era. It was just, mm-hmm. it was, the, venue, the venue itself is, is good because they have good beer on tap, decent food, mm-hmm. decent food. The meta was in a pretty good a good place at that point. We just had yeah. six, was it, Magnum Opus cards drop on us, most of which were crazy good. Like, yeah, and, and we could only play them in KOS too. They wouldn't let us play them in the main event. But yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I remember basically winning games as Wayland on my KOS team, despite having a terrible deck, just because Border Control was really good. Yeah, it's such a yep. good card. Yeah. Super underplayed. Like we all slept on a lot of those cards. Spags also only announced that they were illegal for KOS like a month and a half beforehand. So yeah. we were all like, what do we do with all of these? Remember when people thought Slot Machine was going to be bad, and now it's banned? You could play them at uh, the Mopus event, but it was only the Infinite Swiss on Sunday. Oh, right. Um, Yeah. This was fun, but don't we have a tournament to talk about? I I was getting to it. Give me time. Come on, Josh. All right. Yes, we do have a tournament to discuss, and I think the best way to do that is with one of our storied segments, one of our segments that goes back to the very beginning of the cast, Deck and Bamboozled. On Deck and Bamboozled, we talk about a deck that has bamboozled people. Usually we talk about a deck that bamboozled the person who brought it, but I think it's actually probably a little more appropriate here to say it bamboozled the competition. So Chris, you recently won UK Nationals with a very cool Corp deck, a cool runner deck as well, but I think the the Corp deck is the one we want to focus on here. And yeah, I I would definitely argue it bamboozled the competition. (laughs) I think it's obvious where we have to start with this deck, and that's the name why is this deck named pigeon fighter three uh because it's an evolution of pigeon fighter one uh ah, the reason okay. it's called pigeon fighter <laughs> is um is a story a story from worlds so i built a six mari version of this deck in the run in the run up to, in the run up to worlds which did relatively relatively well so we're on day we're on day one we're in the middle of swiss got lunch lunch break and uh uh, I've gone outside and gone outside, gone to Tim Hortons, got myself a, set, a sandwich, and I'm just chilling on, chilling on a park bench, reflecting on my, reflecting on the, uh, the first couple of rounds, and it's all uh, and just shit. It's, it's nice. I'm vibing. I'm chilling. I'm chilling. Mm-hmm. I'm having, having a good time. Right. It's, it, it's Toronto. Toronto's nice. Yeah. 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 Toronto. And Toronto. And Toronto is nice. It wasn't too cold. Too cold. Perfect sandwich on a bench weather. So I'm sitting here eating this eating the sandwich, and this big old pigeon wanders up to me and i'm like okay okay here we go here we go he's gonna want to try and eat the eat the crumbs that i dropped fine and i'm kind of like trying to shoo him away with my foot i'm like go away he backs off and comes forward again go away (laughs) go away fuck her off backs off comes forward again and then decides to fly at my face to get the whole sandwich (laughs) so i'm sitting on the on the bench right so obviously like out of pure instinct, I'm like backing away from this pigeon right. that's trying and that is trying to. Uh, but but, try, but where do you go? There's nowhere to go. <laughs> I've got nowhere to go, so I lean back and lean back, and that brings my foot up, and it kicks the pigeon out of the air. <laughs> this does not deter the pigeon. Oh he's like, no! He looks, looks a bit angry at me for a bit, and then hops up on the bench next to me and keeps trying to get away from a different angle. No! What the fuck? What was in the sandwich? It was, just, it, was just, it, it was just a Tim Hortons like ham sandwich. It sounds like the pigeon clearly really wanted it. 
What do you mean? So what like, was in this sandwich? What was in this bird? Like, what the fuck? That's insane. I've I, first of all, I don't think I've ever seen a pigeon get aggressive in my entire life. Me neither. This is why it was such a shock. <laughs> and so I went back. I went back in, back in uh, afterwards and sat and sat down, looking uh, and like I'm still reeling about it. It's like all thoughts of like centering myself after the first few games, yeah. thinking about what I need to play different. They're gone. I'm just my brain is a hundred percent on this pigeon at this point. At this point, and I go back in. I sit down. and I said, uh, I just got in a fight. Oh my god, are you okay? With a pigeon. Oh. <laughs> um, so, as, so as a net result, we had a deck name for for, for this uh, for this Asmari deck with uh, with public trails and self growth programs. The, the expectations probably changed quite drastically. It's like I got in a fight. They look at you. They're like, "Oh, you don't look like you're hurt. You must have what happened to the other guy." Then they hear with a pigeon, and they're like, "Ooh." <laughs> <laughs> I will stress at no point was I like actively trying to hurt this pigeon or anything like, like that. I just kind of wanted it to go away and just yeah. so I could enjoy my, my sandwich. But, but clearly the pigeon was having none of that. <laughs> it was going to get the sandwich somehow. You, you weren't trying to hurt the pigeon, but we can't necessarily say the reverse is true. <laughs> I see it now. I'm still very confused, but I see it now. Well... That's kind of a segue to the next question. Uh, we're, talking about, we're talking about matchups. Uh, obviously, like, you know, human versus pigeon, usually a matchup you're not super worried about. But as in, as in any low percent matchup, it can sometimes go the opposite way. Uh, the choice of this deck, particularly for, for UK Nats, what did you think of the matchups? Were there any decks you were worried about and didn't want to face? Were there any decks that you thought you had a really good game against? So that's, that's an interesting, interesting one, actually. So let's, let's just run down, and down the list. So the, the main one that I ended up facing a lot in the cut, but not so much during the day, was uh, 419. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think the deck's called Landlubber or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. It hasn't got a boat in it. That <laughs> one's not too, too bad because you just name event as Asmari and you're like, cool. I'm just going to get two credits pretty frequently, and that's going to fuel a lot, a lot of uh, a lot a lot of it. If they get like a good a, a good start and um, either siphon lock you or just create a situation where you are kind of hiding behind two pieces of and pieces of ice, and your hand is slowly filling up with the with agendas and other stuff and other stuff, then it can be a bit a bit of a problem. But um, no, the four one nine matchup's not too bad for uh, for that deck because you're just getting a constant stream, a stream of cash, and if you can aggressively start pushing it and pushing agendas because they have a finite amount of economy landing something like an artificial crypto crash is huge in terms mm. of setting them and setting them back and that sets you up to then score the next one and so on and so on and so that's pretty good uh, hoshiko and freedom are kind of two separate ones hoshiko um you need to be careful where you place your big ice because you don't want it to get hippoed necessarily mm. but at the same time at the same time you don't want to you don't want to put your border control on the on the outside of the remote because you don't want that to get hippoed because that ends the run so sometimes you do have to eat them going through and going through a um through a toll booth and hippoing it but it costs them nine to do that with um mm-hmm. With black orchestra, so you're usually okay. If they offshore a load on a ferment and fermenters, uh, that can be a bit a bit of a problem in terms of doing the credit mile thing because you can't crypto crash them if they have if they have no well, you can't crypto crash them if they have no money, then nothing will happen. Right. Um, so that's not too bad. Freedom is kind of awkward um, because because if they can freedom away your seamlesses and your SGPs, then you're going a lot slower than you necessarily want to. So mm-hmm. usually versus freedom, you just have to go very aggressively because freedom has no draw um, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. except zero and all the rest and the rest of that, which takes some set, set up to get to. So if you push aggressively um, and hope that they don't draw their botulus, which 
not many are playing more than one copy of you can usually rush, rush them out so it hasn't got any like awful matchups but it does it does have have some ones where you just have to play carefully uh, mm-hmm. apoc is a bit a bit of an inter- a bit of an interesting one you have three border controls which does a lot which does a lot of a lot of work but you need to be careful that you don't overcommit to centrals because otherwise you're just not going to have a way to score out so it's kind of trying to find that balance that balance out tag me's eye is a complete write off it turns mm-hmm. it turns out if they're going to tag themselves and put down a, <laughs> and put down a card that they need to reinstall and cost them a hedge fund, sorry, a short gamble to uh, to reinstall self-growth programming that, that and then naming hardware so they have to reinstall their obelisk. Pretty good in terms of tempo swings. <laughs> and then you've got three border controls so you can block the uh, the counter surveillance sort of pretty easy. So Tag Mizar is, 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 is a bit of a one-sided match, uh, even, mm. with, even with the slipstream tricks. It doesn't have any awful matchups and it's got a few that are just complete blowouts and and and, um, and and really easy but um decks that are geared to deal with very rushy corpse will be have to be played around carefully um because mm-hmm. if you lose a Bologna too early and you haven't got a hard hitting news to punish them then you're in kind of a very awkward spot where two leaks off r&d and you're done it seems very positioned for some of the things that are in the meta I, the agenda count you talked about this originally was a six Mari deck and mm-hmm. obviously artificial crypto crash. There are eight agendas of this deck. What was the main reason behind that switch? So Bologna is a good card, both in both versions, both the six Mari and the eight Mari, uh, Mari version. Uh, the problem is what you play as your second five and five, three in that, in that one. The green mill is, doesn't quite work as well because you're not doing the R plus plan where they won't have a mm-hmm. board state and they can't afford to get a board state, board state up and running. So you're kind of on send a message, which is mm-hmm. fine if you have a Hydra out that mm-hmm. you want to get 10 credits worth of value whenever it's scored or, st- or stolen. But if you don't and you're resing an IP block, it kind of feels a bit sad. <laughs> bigger problem though is yeah six mari means you have a really low density but it means a random poke on R- on r&d could very get on well get them halfway to win and winning the game because quite a lot of decks are running stargate and mad dash at the minute we, we dropped the center the center mess- messages and we have the seamless in depth in the deck already so we figured okay let's do let's do the four two agenda suites so that's three off world mm-hmm. and two miscellaneous miscellaneous ones and this was about the time we were starting to look into napd nap cordon bleu doing a credit no- a denial pl- plan is usually better and better than say playing a beal and having a never advanced th- threat because that because um if you crypto crash them the next agenda you drop and drop out they will struggle to get into the server let alone getting into the server with 11 credits to steal and to steal that baloner that you've just installed advanced nap cord and blurred and then you just seamlessly out at next turn, next turn and you're either on five points or you're on seven points which are very good and very good things to have um mm-hmm. so that's how we moved we moved from um from a six mari to an eight mari version version it was to shore up the mad dash problem and also to provide a bit more tempo on your scores if you don't have a hydra out yeah it honestly reminds me quite a bit of the decks you see out of pd in many ways obviously you don't have mm. the built-in recursion from pd but you do have the built-in drip of money that you get mm. from esmari which i imagine is really nice when you're actually trying to res ice like you have to do when you rush napd cordon i do want to get into that a little bit obviously on this particular cast we've talked a lot about napd cordon blue before I, at least to my knowledge i might this might be apocryphal but at least to my knowledge cranked was one of the first people to name NAPD Cordon, NAPD Cordon Blue back in August. And it's it's fascinating to see it actually like win a very major event like this. 
What was the decision making behind NAPD Cordon Blue? What convinced you that was the right call for this particular meta? It's basically as as with most most answers to most pro- and problems when you're dealing with runners at the minute is boat is expensive. Eight credits is a lot is a lot, and when they're getting through your ice for for free or cheap, but they're dropping an eight eight credit console to do and to do that. If you can create a situation a situation where they're going to have to run through uh, something that is siphoning them for three, regardless of mm-hmm. regardless of whether they break or not, toll booth, and you're yeah. getting them to do it multiple times with border control border control. If you can create a situation where yeah they can get into that server, but they ain't going to have enough money. To to steal it, steal anything. Yeah. Then that seemed like a very, like a very sensible way way to do it, especially combined with the crypto crash. The other thing it lets you do, it lets you do is, and this is why the end of the game we played on stream in the in the finals um, took potentially a couple of turns longer than it than it would have if I was just rushing because I wanted to get that and that NAPD down is. Once you uh, once you signal that this that this that you're going for the final score, it's not rare for a runner to go completely ham all over on on um, on HQ and R and D. And mm-hmm. having an NAPD down means if they want to steal a blow a blowner and close out, they need nine credits spare, which. <laughs> Is quite a lot to do. That's to a do lot of money. Them. Yeah. When you're when you're when you're when you're picking R and D and HQ, if they're wanting to steal uh, either your offhold or your cryptos, they need four, which is less, obviously, but um, but it's but it's still a bit of a, a bit of a deterrent. Like it's not mm-hmm. rare when you're playing Bologna for people to just access access it before and just be like, that sucks. Well, guess yeah. it goes back and goes back. And it's the same the same theory, but obviously one credit down. It's a nice closer when you are going right. I'm scoring this Bologna next turn. You have one turn to find uh, to find the agenda and the agendas and i don't think you have nine credits spent and spare at the minute to find a bologna mm-hmm. so they can't so they can't steal the win out from underneath you if they need three points to win then minimum amount of money they would need is eight to get two different agendas so yeah that's yes napd exactly. still protecting in centrals is really good yeah it's huge Talking about closing out the game, other ways that you could potentially close out a game, like Drago into tag punishment, like potentially backroom machinations or echo chamber. Did all of those just seem not strong enough options versus going to the the eight agendas and then playing Gordon? Echo chamber is good in the original six six Mari deck, but it just didn't it didn't carry and carry enough sideways utility, especially when pinhole is all over the place. Um, oh, yeah, because if true. they can just pinhole into into it, then that's that shut down. Or if they find it off of centrals, that just shut, shuts it down. Uh, Backroom and Drago and Drago were was in Pigeon Mar- and Pigeon Fighter version one, uh, the version we took into it to Worlds, which had I think it was two Drago and three public trails. The idea and the idea here being, um, so you put the Drago and Drago down. If they run it, if they run it and, and trash it, then the next turn, turn, what you do is you play public trail, siphon themselves, themselves for eight. You play another public public trail, <laughs> uh, and they don't have, and they didn't have sixteen to start with, so now they're tagged. Yeah. And then you play backroom to close um, as your as your seventh <laughs> point. And then, oh, that's a also, that's a slap in the face. <laughs> oh yeah, like uh, like quite and quite often, uh, uh, quite often it's correct it's correct to play public trail even if you don't have tag punishment in hand uh, <laughs> because because and because you have self growth programs. So it's like oh, yeah. okay. Okay, I can either pay eight or I can pay and pay eight and I'll have to reinstall my boat. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll have to clear this tag. So quite often they'll just pay it anyway. <laughs> Brings the fear into them. They have to respect it. For UK Nats particularly, with, with this version of the deck, were there any memorable games or any memorable plays on the weekend that really stick out to you? So my game versus Brandon the King was uh, was quite mm. was quite a good a good one because I played him the Crown of Ser- Crown of Service event and he rused me real hard. So we're playing the team in team game and my team and teammate leans over to me and he says, "Okay, Chris, 
the, the player on the end is, is playing Alice and we're relatively certain they're on APOC. I've just seen an APOC, APOC out of this, this crim. I think it's an all APOC team. Keep an eye on uh, on that lat because uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure the king is playing um, playing APOC. Okay, okay. So I set up my ice in such a way that can counter APOC, but it's probably not great. Otherwise, Brandon then goes the whole game and win and wins, and then doesn't uh, and then didn't APOC me at once. And <laughs> I was like, "You're not playing APOC, are you? no." <laughs> <laughs> So the next day, the next day in the actual Swiss, I'm playing. I'm playing uh, Brandon again. They're on Hoshiko. Isn't it? It turns out is an APOC list. I wasn't ent- entirely sure. I, for some reason, I put a toll booth on arch- archives. I think it was just to st- to, to, to stop him uh, stop him running for value um, using Dreamnet and Dreamnet triggers and, ge- and and generally getting value off it. And he put a botulus and botulus on it with, uh, before I'd, before I'd res them. At one point, at one point towards the end of the game, I'm like. Okay, if he apox me, or if he goes for an apox here, there is basically nothing I can do to stop and stop him. And if he apox me, I will lose this lose this game. He just makes a cursory run on arch- on archives. I don't want to spend eight to res a toll booth that he's going to br- break for free with a bodgeless anyway. But I've but I asked, I asked him. This is click two and click two, right? Just as and just as like a thought. And that for some reason incepted into him that that was a border control on archives. So he didn't go for the apox apoc when he absolutely could have could have done. <laughs> <laughs> because he was worried that he was going to run HQ, run R&D, run the bin. Oh, border control, shut down. And he told me this afterwards, and I was like, oh, my God, I am so, I'm so lucky that I said. Like, just, like, it was just an offhand, this is click two, and click two right? Just, like, click checking. It wasn't like, you know, like yeah. oh, I'll res, I'll res this and block, a, uh, block an APOC or anything like that. So Brandon bruised, bruised me by playing a not APOC deck, pretending it was an APOC deck, and then playing an APOC deck and pretending it wasn't an APOC deck. And then I bruised him accidentally by passing off a toll booth as a border control. That's the national champ difference right there. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really good games, actually. On that note, obviously, like playing big games against well-known players near top tables, you did play in both Worlds and UK Nats, and you were either at or near top tables for a, a quite a bit in both events. I'm curious from someone who has that view of both tournaments, did you get a sense that they were different in some ways, similar in some ways? I mean, the big difference, the big difference between Worlds and UK and UK Nats was there was a lot more sports and PD in Worlds than there was in UK in UK Nats. In UK Nats, the top decks were pretty much all R plus, which is why I almost didn't play in the cut in, in the end because I didn't really want to play a whole bunch of R plus R plus games. And that was a that was a fairly big difference in ter- in terms of composition composition. But in a lot of ways, it's very it, it was very and very and very similar. So in Worlds, I got to I think it was around. Five or four, yeah, around five, and I started and I started IDing because I was high enough up at that point. And in UK Nats, it was seven rounds, and I had to submarine for a bit for a bit um, because I think I went sweep split. So so I had to so I ID'd one round one round later in that one. And predominantly, once you once you're up to up to that point, it's yeah, once you're in the in ID town, it's just kind of chilling, chilling out and um and, and and hanging out with hanging out with your friends and generally just relaxing and to, and getting ready in case you do need to play. And play another game. So unfortunately, you can't slip off to the pub or anything like that <laughs> uh, because you do need to be ready in case in case your opponent decides to uh, decides to have, to, to have a go. At it. I mean, the pressure was slightly different and different because I originally wasn't, as I said, I was wasn't originally going to play in the in the cut. Like I was going to try and do as well as I could in the in the Swiss, but I originally wasn't going to play wasn't going to play in the cut. So so I was just I was just, I was just like yeah okay cool I'll finish I'll finish you know high up and then and then and then I'll, I'll probably drop and then um, and then watch the cut or play some classic tomorrow and then when they got to the end of the day and they read out they read out the standings I turned to my friends and I was just like I wasn't originally gonna do it because I kind of wanted to go out out properly tonight to the esports bar and go and go 
drink far too many Jager bombs. <laughs> Should I play in play in the cut? And they just look at me and they go, "Yes, you bloody idiot! Of course you play in the cut." <laughs> Uh, so that's how I ended up playing in the cut in the first place. At an event this big where you made the cut, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the biggest tournaments of the year, especially in paper. Yeah, in retrospect, um, it's 100% the right choice. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously you won. Anyway, you won. <laughs> uh, what is it with production? Y'all keep making us scared that you're going to win events, and, the, and then you went and actually won one, like... Is there some sort of juice in that team? I, I, what's going on here? Like, I, I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's transferable skills. Maybe the ability and the ability to, uh, to 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 build a slightly rogue deck and uh, and 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 play it well is is also what lets you build a strategy for how we're going to produce cu- and produce cards on a regular basis. <laughs> a Honestly, this story. goes all the way to the top, Josh. Right? Like, I mean, if 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 we're worried about anyone, we're definitely worried about Austin constantly being in top sixteen. It's like I don't oh, know yeah. what, what are what are the optics <laughs> of the president of Null Signal Games winning worlds? I, I'm glad we didn't have to find out. <laughs> we almost did, though. I mean, yeah. we were we were this close. Yeah, yeah and and you know like what? Third, didn't he? Tim did win startup. So you know. Oh, you're right. Yeah. One last question on this that I'm curious about, obviously, because for Scoopsmith's time of year that it is, what do you think about this sort of deck after Parhelion drops? Do you think that this sort of general plan is still viable? Do you think that it, there are any obvious changes that you would make just based on new cards? So that's um, that's an interesting interesting one. It's um, and it's one that the testing group that I'm, that I'm in have been um, have been mulling over. Rush decks are absolute. I think are going to be absolutely king right now. Right now, I think because I think the runner card cards create an inevitable end state a lot more easily mm. easily now. So you have stuff like world tree, world tree, various breakers that uh, work well on centrals. You have stuff like wake implant implants. These are all cards that if you give them time to breathe, they will absolutely win the game. Win the game. And to be honest, mm-hmm. it was already a bit of a rush messer anyone in any way because. Because of Stargate, Stargate will, will just eventually wreck any court and deck if it's if the runner is given time to build up a board state. So you either need to go very very fast, which Pigeon does do, and does do, and it and it's and it's good at at you know winning within nine ten ten, ten turns if it's not challenged properly, or you need to have a long term plan that means you can stave off the run, runner winning off say Stargate or Wake Implant for a number of turns until you execute something a bit more grindy. I think Pigeon reasonably well placed going for, going forward i don't know i don't think it's gained anything specifically for, from the parhelion re- release maybe unsmiling sarina is um is a, is a good piece of, piece of ice but not entirely sure what you cut for for it the the problem is it's very early very early days i mean the set literally dropped two in two days ago jane yeah. is currently trying everything everything and throwing everything at the wall and see, seeing what sticks and until you've got kind of a feel for what people are doing it can be quite hard to build a deck that counters that I think Circuit Breaker is going to be real interesting. It's probably going to set the tone for a lot of what this meta is going to be doing. Uh, unfortunately, I can't play in Circuit, in circuit Breaker. Oh, breaker, no! So, uh, unfortunately, I've got my stack due, so, uh, so so I've been pre-booked for that for that weekend. But Circuit Breaker is definitely one I want to keep an eye on because that, I think, is going to set the mm-hmm. tone for a lot of what's com- coming up. I, I agree with you, and that's that's part of why we wanted to move it to where we moved it. What better way to like ring in a set than like have like some of the best players in the game like explore it and then show you where we can go? Like we we plan on doing that moving forward. So production has to keep us on track there, extract. 
Um, <laughs> we we got it. We got to have that December release. So 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 make sure that you keep those uh, those those people in line and and that uh, we we keep that uh, release schedule trucking on because if you can do that, the circuit breaker is going to be wild every time. Speaking of that, Parhelion and its release is one of your notable recent wins here. Nat's not being the the only win. A huge win for production and NSG as a whole is uh, Parhelion, and I think that's going to lead us to another segment. Isn't isn't yeah. it, Pants? Yeah, I think it should. Yeah. Okay. So production and the whole production process and the the act of being a production manager is sort of like being an enforcer. Oh, I think no. it's time for what are you saying, Pants? I know where this is going. I'll give you a chance. Maybe it's not going where I think it's going. No, fuck no. <laughs> we just released one of the best sets of Netrunner ever, and you want us to talk about Enforcer? It's it's that. It's not even a Parhelion card. You know, I'm I'm, I'm going to get that card reprinted just to spite you. What about? Hold on. Let, let you me, better come up with this. something good here. Like after yeah, okay. After give, give after Enforcer 1.0, you better come up with a good backup option here. Okay. Give me a second. Give me a second. Uh how about Enforcer 1.2? Sounds good to me. Enforcer 1.0. All right. This okay. week on the Enforcer 1.0 segment. Wait, hold on. The reason we are bringing up Parhelion, other than Scoosmas Afterglow, is of course because, Chris, you are a producer on Null Signal Games, so you helped very directly with getting that set out the door. I'm going to start with a question that I imagine many people in the audience have had when we've brought this up earlier in this episode that we are now going to answer. What is a producer, and what do they do at Null Signal? So a producer within at Null Signal is part project manager, part co- and part coordinator, part strategist for mm-hmm. how the various teams will work together or how they could work together in order to uh, to make a set happen. So the reason that we were kind of brought on about this time last year, actually, in fact, almost to the day, into the day, into the day one year ago, we were brought and we were brought on on because the work that the teams are doing, each individual team within uh, within then Nice now Nelsig, is excellent. It's really and really good. The teams have worked really well to into kind of refine their processes to a point where they can execute on their strategies really and really well. They can and they can get the t- get the, um, the the outputs that their team needs to get, get done really really well once they. They've got the kind of inputs from the various other teams. The challenge is because there wasn't anyone directly overseeing, coordinating it. The handoffs between the teams started to, started to get really challenging because there's a lot that goes into into a given a given release. You have design and design the cards. You've got to refine them. You've got to decide you're doing scorched earth rather than rather than audacity. Audacity, um, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. that decision will have knock on effects into narrative because you're obviously the narrative for audacity is very different from scorched scorched earth it will have impacts into your testing because your playtesters need to know what they're te- and what they're testing the artist and the art will be um will be will be um dependent on that decision as well you're handing off a given card multiple times in between the different in different areas and that didn't have anyone coordinating and oversighting and and helping those teams 
enable that handoff. So as a net re- result, what was happening was work was getting was getting done, but then it but then it was hitting a blocker because another mm-hmm. team wasn't quite ready to pick it up for whatever reason. They hadn't they hadn't uh, received the heads the heads up or um, or they weren't quite ready quite ready for for it or, or something along those on those lines. So what a producer in null signal very much very much does is coordinate between those teams so that so that when say narrative narrative are are, are approaching the end of, of of saying okay we're gonna have these names on the cards this is the kind and kind of theme of the of the card this is the kind the kind of overall vibe of the card mm-hmm. we can then we can then work with work with uh with the art t- art team to start sourcing artists mm-hmm. to get that art met and that art made and so on and so forth and so forth for play to, for play testing and rules and so on and so on. So it's very much a coordination between the t- in between the teams role because as I said at the beginning, what the teams are doing internally within their team very solid and very solid. It's just the handoffs mm-hmm. of the challenge. It's the sort of stuff that if you're looking at the process naively from the outside, as I was kind of before I saw how things worked internally, I think it's the sort of thing that you just assume happens. You just assume that it's this Mm well-oiled machine and, you know, you you plug one thing in here and it automatically goes over here. And as with most creative work, there is manual input required and there is manual coordination required. And for sure, especially with something as large as a set, like an individual card has a lot of moving pieces and an entire set of them has so many more. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yep. I think what a lot of people don't realize about their a lot of their favorite things, whether it be like game development in board games or the video game space or software development professionally or anything like that is there isn't a input something here and then it comes out here in like any development process. Unless you build it. it. You can look at a lot of companies from the outside and think that that's the, that's the case. All of it is way more chaotic than you absolutely think it is. And And sure, you can build processes in place and production also works when you do the basics. So I would say that Xtrack helps us get to meetings and writes things down, (laughs) which it's really important. Really, really important. It doesn't help to make a decision if you don't remember that you made that decision. Oh, for sure. For sure. sure. For sure. It's sort of like trying to remember things you get on the honey-do list, right? My partner tells me that I need to go pick this up at the store. And I think to myself, I'll remember that. Mm -hmm. That's pretty simple. Never and then you get to the store, <laughs> and it was at this point he realized he fucked up. Um, yep. <laughs> no, no. So um, I know that you do far more work than this, but I do have to uh, say I appreciate that you 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 are at least writing things down, and that that alone is very helpful. But I do understand it is far more than that, as you mm-hmm. just explained. You're writing things down, both in, ter- in, in terms of what's going going on internally and in terms of the articles that we put and put out, I feel is really, really important for kind of self ref- and self-reflecting. So when we're, when we're writing these in, the, in these articles, which I was very keen to do from day, from day one, because a lot of people, myself included, before I joined um, and also were like, well, what's going on behind the curtain there, Chief? Why, or, or, why is the set not com- and com- and coming out? Because... Before that, we didn't have a whole bunch of information information because we weren't very um, we didn't we, we didn't really broadcast how, how things were going as an organization. Absolutely, writing writing stuff and stuff down both internally and exter- externally is very key so that you so that you can as an org 
reflect on where you are and where you can potentially and potentially improve because as you, mm-hmm. because similar yeah. to your story, story of not uh, of getting the grocery store and not being able to remember why why you went there reflecting on oh we thought this was going to be a big a big problem but it ended up not being a big problem or we didn't think that that was going to be a big problem but it ended up being a big a big problem yeah. a problem how can we avoid that in the future capture capturing yourself at a moment in, in time to help reflect reflect on that is how you do process improvement and how you get a more streamlined mm. strategy for deliver and delivering delivering products so so absolutely it's uh it's it's a very key thing one thing i'm curious about in terms of how you all work as a team is this a situation where you primarily work with a specific team or set of teams or is this kind of there's a set of tasks and collectively as a group your job is to get those tasks done Kind of, and kind of both. Primarily, each one of the each one of the producers is um, is assigned a couple a couple of teams. So, for example, I represent the balance team and the and the translation translation team when we do our weekly production in production meetings. But quite often, when a problem arises, it'll be either not specifically tied to a team or across a couple mm-hmm. a couple of teams, um, and it will require it require coordination from multiple multiple teams. Um, at which point, you don't want to end up with a too many cooks problem where all the doers are trying to do something at the same time, the same time, at the same time, having to stay in sync. Occasionally, it's easy to say, okay specifically you can you go and go and have a look mm-hmm. at this problem can you go and talk to the into these air in these areas even if it's not typically the team you represent if you've got capacity capacity having a single person on point can be quite useful so none of us are going to go nah, not my team not my problem thinking of parhelion specifically if you were working primarily with the balance and with the translation teams but also with other teams as as the occasion arose does anything stand out from that set in terms of like your involvement or or things that arose that we're able to talk about. I think the headline for Barhelian's production cycle, to put it in context, this is the third the third production cycle we've done this year because we obviously had the um, booster pack, which was which mm-hmm. was kind of us getting our getting our feet under the table and getting used to the process and understanding how the org ticks. Uh, we had Midnight Sun, and then we had Parhelion. And the overriding feeling for a lot of Parhelion was this is kind of well-known ground at this point. It almost felt rote. Um, which <laughs> makes it sound boring. It makes it sound boring, and and, and, and there were challenges that, that that arose, but a lot of it felt very kind of. We've done this before. We know what we're doing. This is we're comfortable with with this. That's exactly what you want to process. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. This is the, this is the, this is the, th- the thing. A lot of it felt felt relatively known. Like we weren't get, we weren't get, for for example when we were going into this, we weren't going. Oh, is this timeline and this strategy going to work and going to work at all? Because there were, that was yeah. a bit of a concern yeah. when we started something like Midnight Sun. We were like, okay. Okay, we've come up with a timeline. We've agreed this with the team, with the teams. We think this will work, but we have no way of knowing for certain. For certain, yeah. and we're going to have to deal with problems as they arise. When we came to Parhelium, we set out the timeline for it, and we were like, "We know this timeline more or less is is accurate. We might have to push and push something and push something something back if you know a problem arises. World happens in the middle of it, which uh, set everything back a week. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no. How dare you, Josh? <laughs> no, no, it was, it was it was our fault. We 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 didn't we didn't for, for some reason we didn't quite anticipate that everyone being at Worlds might uh, might might um, knock everything offline for a week or a week or so. Which sounds very obvious in hindsight, but when you're planning yeah, it yeah. kind of 
four months out right, right. Quite clock it. turns out <laughs> even production and and artists and stuff are fans of the game so yeah am i correct in thinking literally the entire production team was there playing in the main event we were on a crown of service team together there you go we're all on trivia team to get in together which worked, exactly, which worked, worked out very well and so a lot of it felt very we know what we're doing mm-hmm. we know we know the inputs we yeah. have so we have the, we have we know what what the cards are called what kind of art we're going to do we're going to have to source art for them which is obviously going to take some time yeah um, uh, we're going to have to do art briefs for them and for them. We actually changed that and changed that one up for the Parhelion release. We put out an open call internally to the whole of Null, Null Signal um, to write these art briefs. So for context, the art briefs are what the art on a given card is going to going to be that the artist can then work off to get this person is going to be on the on the card or this building is going to be on the card. It should feel like this. Mm-hmm. The primary colors are going to be these these kind of things. So we put out an uh, so Conrad and the art team put out an open call. They don't take long to do, but when you have sixty five of them. That adds mm-hmm. up pretty quickly, so it's yeah. very it's very amenable to crowdsourcing. So I got to do a few art briefs on that, which was which was quite fun, quite fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fun uh, process. I agree. I, yeah, because like, you did a few, didn't you, Vance? Mm-hmm. I, I did. Yeah, you're right. They don't take a huge amount of time each, but there is genuine research that goes into them. I remember rereading the op fiction a couple times just to get the best sense I could of the the Yakov character because I did the brief for that character. Okay, okay, like I've I've read the fiction piece. Now, what can I imagine being on this person's desk, for instance? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you want to make sure that you get those small details right. So it's not a negligible amount of time either. And if you have mm. to do sixty-five of them, yeah, that adds up. up pretty quick, right? Yeah. But and but yeah, aside, aside from some slight deviations like that, a lot of it was very. This is a known process. We're comfortable with it. The org as a whole is com- mm. uncomfortable and comfortable with it, and we know we can execute on this plan, plus or minus. As you um, as you say, orbital, that is very much where you want the process to be, mm-hmm. and it gave us a lot of confidence and confidence going and going forward. Bell Tower is going to be a slightly different set, set of set of stories because um, it's not in quite the same position and position that the Midnight Sun and Borealis were when we when we first first started on it. So we are having to make some changes to the way we ad- we adopt mm. the processes to, to cater and cater for that to keep it and keep it going on time. But yep. it's a solid foundation for going forward. Right, you at least know here's what things have looked like in the past and that gives you a much better estimate Mm -hmm. of what things will look like if you change different parts of that that system Mm -hmm. that's very cool I work on process a lot in the automotive industry. It allows you to do something like creating a separate process based on where you begin your baseline, which Mm -hmm. is like really important for like, say, repairing a vehicle, because not all vehicle Mm -hmm. hits are the same, right? Production and art and all the other teams go in to like start tooling on things. It's probably going to be at a different part in the process each time when you work forward, because spoiler to everybody listening, NSG is working forward of the current set that you see and beyond (laughs) that. Design is not always going to be in the same spot when they hand off or dev is not always going to be in the same spot when they hand off. Having a different process for where you're at is really useful, but also having that baseline process is pretty useful too. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. I, I do have to give props here. One of the things that I saw, which was really cool as part of the production process, there were things that came up that were like what I call oh shit moments, but built into the projections was oh shit time, delay time. I've worked with Gantt charts a lot. And part of the reason that they fall apart and they suck is people do not build in that time. They don't go, (laughs) oh, well, what if this doesn't go perfect and we have to project this out another week? If they're not accounting for that and they're hoping everything goes perfect, you get delayed one week and your whole fucking chart is useless now. 
I really think that it was cool that, that you guys were like, at every step of the process, you're like, all right, what's the average amount of time if this doesn't go perfect that we need to extend this? Let's build that in. And then if yes. it goes quicker than that, it's way easier to pull stuff up in the chart than push them back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You need to you need to have have some slack in it just to um, to account account for stuff that you just can't anticipate. You know, mm-hmm. if so, if someone critical to a process goes is is unavailable because we are you know we're a volunteer organization, we're doing this all in our spare time. If real life gets in the way, then you need to be able to anticipate anticipate and work around that. And that means both putting slack in your plan and also having multiple people capable of doing a given step if it mm-hmm. is a time critical short step and even with with that occasionally they'll just be stuck and stuff that you didn't for whatever reason anticipate like taking a week off for, for, for worlds which is was one of the in the, in the major courses there were a couple of minor courses for why we um, ended up pushing the setback and the setback for second to the ninth into for digital release because we figured we could probably probably if we if everything went right and we crunched and a whole bunch of other stuff went better than we expected we could probably make that make that second the second one but that was an unrealistic projection mm-hmm. projection to make so fortunately we um it, it was in uh, at a stage in the process where we could move stuff stuff out adjust to that new um to that new ninth digital release slack is very important for stuff like this <laughs> I have to ask as part of this, just a question that I that I ask people who have a similar role to this. Do you have a favorite kind of chart? Do I have a favorite kind of chart? Uh, as in like Gantt Gant chart and, uh, and all, the, all the rest, or just like a general data ch- and data chart. Like you asked me if I like pie graphs and all that. <laughs> Uh, dealer's choice. Uh, if, if, if it's something that's specific to production, then like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear it. But there, there is something to be said about a simple line graph, right? Line go up or down. One of the things that we've been been um, been using a lot, which isn't strictly a, ch- a chart, but is um, is pretty key to the production uh, production process. And I really do like as a way of visualizing stuff that you've got coming up for a given for a given for for, for a given workload is a Kanban board. You have everything in, col- in columns of to do, doing, and done, and then you expand those columns out to mm-hmm. the various sub-stages that you have. Originally, you literally just ha- had them on post-it notes and then move them and move them across. Obviously, we are in three different time zones. Um, so mm-hmm. we do those digi- digitally now to make it e- easier. But I do love a good Kanban board that's set up that can properly visualize where everything is because that lets you just say, okay, everything is clustering in this particular stage. Why is that? Uh, do <laughs> yeah. we need to go and have a chat to some people to, and to be like, okay, is it a case that you're just not updating them or is it a case that there's a problem that we can help with? help with but also towards the end when the left side of your of your kanban board um which is where everything starts is looking a lot emptier than the mm-hmm. uh, right hand side where everything finishes up you start to feel pretty good about yourself it's like oh my god we're doing we're actually doing it we're doing yeah. a load of stuff here yeah <laughs> if we can count that as a graph um or, I, I, or i'm gonna count it here as you pointed out it definitely has that very mm-hmm. visual aspect where you can kind of just with a glance For sure get mm-hmm. like a sense of where your data is as as it were i don't want to claim too much credit for this because there was a lot more people that did a lot more work. But as we were setting up the visual team after uh, gateway and update, it was uh, Morgan, myself, June, and then later Matt came in. After we got Matt in place and after we got the booster out, we realized that the art process was not working the way that we wanted. So one of the first things that the production team did was actually Kanban chart. I can't remember if it was you or Conrad that set it up. Both uh, worked on it. It was excellent, but it was the steps of our art process that we had laid out for the booster, which was brief, contract, whip, final, paid. 
in addition to having all of the columns and everything, there was this little percentage at the top of each column, how many cards mm-hmm. had run through it. Oh, it was so awesome to watch those percentages just like go up as the cards moved. It was, <laughs> it was fantastic. I hope we're still doing that. Unlike with the booster, the Midnight Sun felt like we were really getting a handle on process with that set of cards and um, helps you see the progress and go, Oh shit, we're making that runner. We're we're, I know, we're right. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. I gotta give more props to to the production team for setting that up. It has has paid dividends, I think. Um, especially with darkness. Set. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm really happy with how the art is set. Uh, I'm really happy with um how the art has come out for both and both um the midnight and midnight sun and Pi- mm-hmm. but Piney and yeah, I don't know, I don't know. It's just a little it's a little something, a little je ne sais quoi, which is mm-hmm. it's it just mm-hmm. it's just that little bit more, you know. You know, and I don't know whether I don't know whether it's whether it's we're just we've just really hit our, hit our stride in the art in the art team in terms of sourcing, or whether it's a case, in case of the the source narrative is a bit spicier. I don't know what it is, but it's just just a little something, you know. I think I agree with you. This this discussion of production, honestly, fantastic. Love hearing all of this stuff. I think it. I'm hoping that everyone listening to the episode has a a slightly better view into how Netrunner sets get made now and some of the things that have to happen for that to happen. And But I do think after this discussion, we've waited long enough. Josh, I think we have to give the people what they want. We have to give the people what they want. Oh, I think I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. We have to give the people ban or nap. That's All correct. Right. All right. So classically, our longest segment traditionally takes longer than the rest of the episode combined we really go into the tournament ins or outs of the choice we really get into some deep discussions some philosophy some some tournament uh, mechanics and even and some of that politics nature. sometimes even some politics sometimes so everyone it's time for ban or nap extract it's your choice funhouse ban nap, nap. on to the next segment we have Another classic one usually takes up much less time than Banner Nab, but just as important, the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it. Extract, this is also your choice. Do you have a choice for the bad card of the week that is still bad and you still shouldn't play it? While you're thinking, I would like to make it clear to the audience, this suggestion is specific to this week. If you listen to this episode and it's been at least one week since the episode came out, you can in fact play this card, but we do ask hold off during the week that we have this episode. Drago. Ooh, Drago. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, Drago Didn't did just car. not win UK, UK Nats. So <laughs> let's be real. Uh, why is Drago the bad card of the week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it? Because uh, Drago costs two, cl- and two clicks uh, and therefore two, mm-hmm. and also two credits to, and to advance. And uh, it gives the runner and gives the runner a tag, which they can just clear. Frankly, why bother? Why bother? Because then you only have one click spare. And what are you going to do with one click when the runners and ta- runners tags? Boom! Costs two click and two clicks to play. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well, I, I do think this is genuinely an interesting pick, though, because obviously Drago was all over the top sixteen at UK Nats, but oh, it was everywhere. <laughs> crucially, didn't win. Is Drago not as strong as people thought because it actually can be teched against, or do you think that it just doesn't have as strong an effect in general as people thought it would? I think outside of R plus, Drago is actually quite ex- quite expensive because yeah, the thing I'm saying in kind of tongue in cheek about about it costing two two credits and two cl- and two clicks to advance and the runner is single t- single tags. That's kind of true outside of R mm-hmm. plus. 
I think Drago's good. I think it's I think it's I think it's strong. It has a lot of a lot of abil- abilities attached to it if you can set it up right. But I don't think it's quite the sky is falling levels of good. It takes on an entirely different persona in uh, in our plus though, where it where it's marginally te- tempo tempo positive for the court to put court to keep doing that over and over again because they can do that infinitely. And outside outside of our plus, I think it's actually a little bit spicy, and I think you can actually you can do some stuff with it, but it won't like necessarily win a game in and of its yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, and, I agree and with you. Potentially outside of R plus, you just run into so much hate for Drago in R plus that it just might not be worth it outside of R plus. Cool, you're going to hit their no free lunches, which are in there because Drago's strong in R plus. Mm-hmm. And what are you, a Provdevos deck, actually going to do if you have to actually pay credits to use Drago? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. This is partly why we dropped it in the in the vision list because um, yeah. the original Six Mario version had Drago. Had Drago. You are sinking time and, te- and tempo into into this, so you need to make sure that that click is worth it. Does that change with the release of, of End of the Line? That's a good question. Good question. Hmm. End of the Line is quite expensive from, from an imp perspective, but if the runner's on three cards and you uh, and has no way of clearing that tag, then it's a win. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. End of the Line, I think, changes the math on a lot of things. Obviously, it's still if you want to deal more than four damage, you still have to have more than one tag. But the fact yeah. that you can just turn one tag into you might die <laughs> is something that we've really been missing in this meta for a long time. Acquiring more than one click and one tag for end of the line is crucial for understanding why Stone Ship is actually a really good tech card. Because, yeah, if you're on three cards and they start to do the advancement, you can just go, oh, Stone Ship, and now I'm at five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Haha, you can't kill me. You know what uh, Drago strikes me as in R? Oh, yeah. These decks existed for like a hot minute. They were really toxic, but they never made it to the table because a ban list came out right before the major tournament where they would have happened. There was a deck called Load Testing or Dropping Loads (laughs) where it would take all four of your clicks and then each turn it would have one click to itself. Oh, is this the Victoria um, Jenkins Load Testing CI? Victoria with a Victoria Jenkins Load Testing CI with Suffrage Movement. You bring back three load testings each turn. You played them. You got a Jeeves click. Victoria took the last click (laughs) um, and they never could do anything because you'd pass turn and they would have zero lot of clicks. I am glad that that deck never saw the light of day because that's the stupidest win condition. Yep. Because you don't always win. Yeah, you've got one click a turn. So if you have like 10 cards left, you're not going to have enough time to Oh, for sure. For sure. So knowing when to fire off the combo partially was part of the skill. These R plus decks do the same thing, basically. If you recall uh, Continental's pants, uh, one of the first games you uh, commentated on America. Do I recall that game? (laughs) It was just it was just click click tag for seven or eight turns. They just take one click a turn to do something. And it's kind of bad. Um, Not bad. Not bad as in like not powerful, but bad as in like this is bad and you shouldn't play this because it's awful to play against. Like what what are you doing? This is the worst kind of netrunner. But I, I agree with you. Like it doesn't do that outside of R plus. Drago seems fine. And actually it does something to the game, which I, I rather like. These inconsequential one tag punishment cards that both FFG and NSG have printed that don't mm-hmm. straight out win you the game. I like that Drago makes those cards actually kind of good. 
when yeah. traditionally they've been pretty freaking terrible. The high watermark for that type of card was in the CTM heyday, you would run one closed account so you could beat Shaper with like mm-hmm. a C source. Though like exchange of information is a card that much more directly says win the game on it than something like sure. self-growth program. And I do like this and like this idea of moving a world where a single tag is easier to land to land, but it doesn't just out and out win you the win you the game if right. you if you land it because and because that's mm-hmm. that's when when you when you start getting actual te- tempo plays where you can start considering things like do I need to clear this t- this tag or yeah. not mm-hmm. rather than nope need to clear it because I just lose if I don't right I think a lot of people are about to learn what a lot of people learned in the days when Scorch was legal which was if you have three cards in hand you probably should think before you do some things. Think a snare, yeah. <laughs> like if you if you die to end of the line because you had three cards in hand, and it's not because you know you were taking core damage and you're down to only three max sanitizer. If you just like naturally end the turn in a position where you can take a tag from like public trail and then get end of the line, you kind of deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of a. It reminds me of. A, sorry, do you mind if I go on a quick tangent here? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Um, so it reminds me of a game, in game I was playing. Um, this was like back in 2016, 2017 versus uh, one of my mess mates, um, a guy called Guy. He was a very nice, yeah. very nice guy. Loves himself a Jintechi deck. He loves himself a Jank deck. He loves himself playing interesting decks, which is which is always, which is always fun. So I run uh, I run R and D, click th- click three, three cards in hand, hit a snare. He triggers it. Okay, right. It's a Jintechi deck, neural EMP. Which is the operation that does um, that, that does one net, one net damage if the runner made a successful a successful run last turn is legal. I had currently have zero cards in hand and one tag, so I should probably draw up and float this ta- this tag so I don't die. But at the same time, this is guy. He likes to play an interesting deck. Is it possible he's got Scorch Dearth in hand? <laughs> and if he does, if he does, I should clear this ta- and clear this tag and not draw up. I'm an R about it. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm sitting and sitting there. And it's in the end of the side, okay, it is more likely that he's got near early MP than he has Scorch. Mm-hmm. So I'll just draw one. I'll float the tag. And it's fine. He then instantly scorches me and I die and reveals that he also had a neural EMP oh. in hand. So I was dead either way. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> On the topic of sick. I think I would like to introduce a new segment. First time we've ever had this. With Banner Nab, we're talking about banning cards, occasionally nabbing them, but usually banning, let's be real. And with Bad Card of the Week that's still bad and you still shouldn't play it, we're usually talking about, we're, we're being down on cards. It is the Scoopsmith season. Let's get some positivity in here. We're going to have, for the very first time ever, the Rad Card of the Week that's still cool and you still should play it. And this is also a choice for you, Extract. What do you think is the rad card of the week that's still cool and you still should play it. Seamless launch. Seamless Easy. launch. Why Whatever. is seamless launch a rad card of the week that's still cool and you, st- you still should play it? It's got so much vers- versatility. Like a big reason why and why I've stuck with Pigeon for so, and so long is because of se- seamless launch and mm. how it demonstrably lets you work with pretty much any score uh, scoring pattern. Because if you've got three, if you've got three twos, it let. Uh, if you've got uh, seamless seamless launch, you can score your three t- three two. Have a click spare. Put your shooter in the remote or over advanced yeah. if if it's an over advanced one. Four twos. It's just enabling four twos is huge. I think for the I think for the game because for a long time the agenda types you could have were basically three twos and occasionally a five three. Usually it was mm-hmm. a food to it. It enabling four twos has brought has brought back a whole bunch of good, of good stuff. It yeah. it's enabled stuff like like off world. It enables a whole um, stuff like crypto crash, which I think would be mm-hmm. quite difficult to play without without seamless launch and being able to go install adv- advance 
So you've staked two clicks and a credit and credit effectively on this five on this five three. And if it pans out, then you can seamlessly advance advance and you've scored a five three. And if it hasn't, you haven't had to spend your whole turn staking right. it. Right. So I think seamless the seamless launch is it's it's rated as a good a good card. I think it is probably one of the best cards in the game right now. So yeah, I, I agree with you. It, <laughs> it, it opens up some really cool lines because it, it also doesn't just work with agendas. But I remember Jinteki was basically the only faction that would, I guess before uh, Cyberdex Sandbox came out, just about the only faction that would actually play 4-2s was Jinteki. And that was because, well, if you score a 4-2 in Jinteki, you get an end the run effect. It had to be that powerful to justify it, basically. The fact that you can just say, okay, I even have a 3-2 in faction. I even have tomorrow's headline. And I have things to do with tags and i just don't care i'd rather run four twos that's actually mm -hmm. really cool mm, exactly right exactly right mm -hmm. because the effect from the four and four twos will do a lot more but this is the thing seamless launch even works it works with tomorrow's headline because you yeah. seamless launch advance and now they've got a tag and you can do your tag punishment punishment with it i think it crucially enables something that i'm pretty certain is is a core component of netrunner that you want to encourage the never advance play with four twos Having three twos, a lot of three twos in the game is not something that you really want. Three twos are interesting. I think that three twos are not for, sure. for the game. I think that we're at the perfect amount of like three twos right now, though, where you can't make a, like a whole deck out of them. You can have put a critical mass in your deck if you want to play fast advance, which is which is cool. Mm -hmm. But like having to have a couple of agendas in there that aren't three twos, you know, you, you got to stick a five three in there for density or you got to stick a four two in there because you don't have enough three twos. Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. I also think that four twos are something that should be in the game. They should have somewhat powerful effects, but being able to never advance them, I think is really critical and cool because never advance plays force the runner to run and critically without the corp putting extra resources other than the one click to install that card, because you already have that discrepancy between the two sides where to score out, the corp has to invest a lot more resources than when the runner does classically. Even, even once ice is up, has already spent all those clicks and all that money investing in those defenses. And then also it's got to spend clicks and credits to advance out these agendas. It's really cool when they can have threats on the board that have a minimal amount of investment. Mm. And then the runner has to make this calculated gamble of, can I chance that that's not an agenda? Can I go somewhere <laughs> else? Can I sit mm. back? And I love that Seamless takes and it makes a whole other class of agenda into a new never advanced threat. It is a fantastic card just because of that, even though you can do all the things that you just talked about. It's huge. It's so good. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's so good. It, it, that card pretty much single-handedly enabled four, four twos for exactly the plays you're, talk, you're talking about and a whole bunch more. It's just such a good card and it's costed just right in terms of influence. It's yeah. too influence so you have to commit, but you don't have to commit too yep. much. It's perfect. Yeah. Really With like the tempo forward agendas, it could maybe cost two, but like that's like maybe the only change I make to the card. And I, I still love it at one. When we were back in the Cyberdex sandbox days when it was like, yeah, yeah, I have a whole bunch of agendas and all of them give me money either now or later. Yeah. later then, yeah, it just started being, being kind of a win on a win at that point. Yeah. But I think once, <laughs> once once Sandbox went, it started becoming becoming quite compel and compelling for a number of reasons to just mm -hmm. have it. And I think it, it is quite, it's costed quite fairly at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also think Seamless is especially interesting to think about right now because of some of the new IDs that dropped. It's certainly a card you want to think about in Iswak. 
And yes, I think sure. there are I think there are clear applications in Thule as well. Although Thule has other things going on, but I think Seamless easily could be part of the game plan in that idea too. I think so. So Thule kind of wants to go and go quick and quickly before two credits and a click stops being such a co- and such a cost. Yeah, and rushing with rushing with four to, four twos maybe with a Jupstad grid. I think it's called being aggressive with with that. And also you have a four two that you very much want to play in that day. It hopefully won't remain a four mm-hmm. two for too long, which is ontological. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hopefully yep. you're getting that down to a 2-2 eventually, eventually, or maybe even maybe even less than that. Um, For sure, but, it, but being able to never advance it as a 4-2 is... Yeah, exactly. So yeah. Because so sometimes good. you're going to draw it first, and sometimes you need to start the scoring plan, you need to start the train rolling. And In the last couple minutes we have here, I would like to thank you for listening to the Slumscast this week. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow the Slumscast. You should be able to do that in just about whatever podcast distribution network you listen to. Consider leaving us a rating, leaving us a thumbs up if you're listening to Spotify. All of the normal engagement pushing stuff that you get from podcast hosts just assume that i said all of that here also consider sharing it directly with someone in your life who is a fan of netrunner and especially those who are a fan of fighting pigeons <laughs> i would like to give special thanks as well so special thanks go to extract for this episode thank you for being on the cast thank you for having me it's been lovely would you like to give any shout outs while you were here on the slums cast Sure. I would like to give a, a shout-out shout uh, first to the, produ- to, to the production team. Y'all are a very sound bunch of fiends. It's been real real good working with you over, over the last year, and I'm looking forward to continue, continuing to do so. I'd like to give a, give a quick quick shout-out to the Pigeon Fighter testing and testing group, which, in, which, in which I'm a part, I'm part of. I didn't name it Pigeon Fighter. I just came back one day, and it was called Pigeon, and Pigeon, and the Pigeon <laughs> Fighters group. I'd like to give a shout-out to, to them. Looking forward to test, and testing with you over the next year and seeing what our absolute degeneracy we come up with over the next few perfect thanks again for being on and for those who are listening to this episode if you are listening and you were interested in any of the things that you heard here you have questions for us you have comments to give us the best place to reach us is slack twitter glc email one of these things we have many options they will be in the show notes you can contact us there if you have any concerns about what you heard here on this episode Unfortunately, concerns rotated out of the startup meta because they were, in fact, in downfall. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they were emptying the vault. They were just, they were just handing out everything mm-hmm. they had because they needed, yeah. to get, needed to get rid of, rid of it. Um, I do, do remember hearing a story about um, a couple of people that weren't even playing, but they were just spectating. They were netrunner players. Mm-hmm. Sat down at one of the ta- at one of the tables and pretended to be playing a game as part of the round just to get. I think it was like the Eli's or something like that that they were handing. Yeah, they out. were going around handing out crazy promos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Op got a ton of these. Are it's... this the plastic balanas? Yeah, the acrylic ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I have a ton of stuff from from the final print-offs and and the vaults that they. Uh, you you got to get rid of that stuff, man. <laughs> it's just sitting around my desk, dude, and I can't give it away fast enough. It's fucking weird. That's that's what I'm saying. You got to you got to speed that like somehow. I don't know how. Well, uh, is not even the... legal anymore. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say half half of that ID, of that flip ID isn't legal anymore. Woo is that's just. Oh, that's just Mender. Oh no. So it's completely illegal. <laughs> <laughs> This is an well, eternal it's legal only. An eternal or draft. Can you draft with a double sided?
I personally believe it's a great flex in draft if you draft an ID and then pull out a promo of it. Yeah, okay, okay. (laughs) I came prepared type thing. We left all of the smoke that I had, which is like a brick this big, at the last mansion runner. Please tell me that the Boston Meta didn't take that home because I don't want our GNK prize pools getting diluted with like 70 smokes. No, no, no. We were going to try to have the person who did the worst in the team tournament um, (laughs) take them force forcefully <laughs> well the whole um, break <laughs> yep so, and, and, congratulations and they did. you have 584 smokes you have to get rid of them yeah so i have the same problem IPOs. with ipos by the way so um <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> i did get to the point with the uh with the with the IP, uh, ipo so i obviously you know i got i got i got the I got the set the set the old old temper then the um in the binder and then and then uh Ian was just handing out a whole bunch of IPOs at uh, Worlds in Rotterdam, including just putting them in people's deck boxes if they just left them out on the table. It's just like, like <laughs> no. having a few more IPOs in here. Um, and it got to the point, I think I've got like 30 of them. So I just need like oh another God. 15. And I could, do, I could do the bit where you play a court deck and you pretend, and it's literally every card is an IP, IPO. And you just go, oh. okay, mulligan. <laughs> credit, credit, credit. <laughs> And then and then turn to credit credit IPO and then try and get through as many turns as possible before they call not pure IPO. Like uh, we're HQ, huh? <laughs> you know what? I got a thought on this. Roll with me on this. I have enough IPOs that I could make those the card back. You get some clear sleeves, and then you use you use that as a backer card oh on all of your. Uh, all of your corp cards. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. if you have a need, if you have a need five credits, you just go. Oh, whoops! I slipped, and uh, and uh, I guess I'm just going to discard this uh, this card. And now it's an oh, new new format. New format. You use all of those as backer cards, right? But you build a normal deck otherwise, and uh, you Quick can to you flip, can flip one it over an IPO. Yep. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> We've heard of flip IDs. Now 